The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, uh, we will, uh, Lord willing, we'll walk through verses 15 through 23 today in Ephesians chapter 1. As you're turning there, let me just ask the question, and, and uh, maybe this is rhetorical, um, you know, whatever, you know, but uh, some, some, some of you may want to call something out, that's okay. Uh, what are some things you think that most people have in their car, but they don't realize they have in their car? What do you think? Old French fry between the seats? Probably more spare change than they realize. Some of it they can't get to, right, anymore. You've just given up on it. Um, perhaps you have a pet that you don't know about <laughs> that lives in your car somewhere. Uh, I think there are probably things that, that are in your car that uh, most people don't know about. What about things that most people are not aware that they could do with their cell phones? Um, I spent some time, and I, I just Googled this really quickly just to get some ideas, you know, the average, most people today uh, has a smartphone. And uh, I, I'll be honest, the smartphone that I have, it probably does a whole lot more than what I'm aware that it could do, right? And so I'm, I'm basically, you know what, I'm really old school. Like, I make phone calls with my phone. Like, I mean, I'm ancient, right? You know? Uh, but anyway, things that you can do with your phones, people don't know that you can do. You can diagnose a leaky window in your home. If you add the right equipment to your phone, you can diagnose, it can, you hold it up to a window, it can tell you whether there's air seeping in or out to your, your house. You can measure your heart health uh, with your cell phone. You can prevent drunk driving with your cell phone by breathing into a particular device plugged into the headphone jack of your phone. You can uh, figure out why the check engine light is on. Now, that got some of you because you're wondering why it's on. You don't want to pay a mechanic. You're like, well, what's that device? Show me how to do that with my phone. You can remind yourself to drink enough water with your phone if you have the right device. There's all sorts of things that you can do with your phone that you don't, you're not even aware of. You're just making phone calls and taking pictures, right? That's all you're doing with your phone. Sending text messages, social media, whatever. Well, in a couple of weeks... Uh, every people all over the place are going to put on costumes and run around and pretend to be people or things that they are not. Um, they're going to pretend to be superheroes. They're going to pretend to be this or that. It, by putting on that costume, do they actually have the abilities that that particular character has? Yeah, Brienne says yes. <laughs> Brienne is sold out to Halloween. She's, yes. I am Wonder Woman, right? Whatever. I don't know what you're going to be, right? Um, well, no. Sorry, Brienne. <laughs> um, you know, people are going to walk around and pretend to be who they're not or what they're not. And what I want to draw your attention to is most Christians walk around without ever putting on what they really are. Like that cell phone that you have no idea all of what it does, most Christians walk around and have no idea all of who they are and what they are in Christ. And so what I want us to do today, what Paul wants us to see today, what he's praying for the Ephesian believers is that they might come to know and see. So that's what I want us to do today. Before I read the passage, I'll just point out to you 
that before Paul prays for the Ephesian believers, he can do so confidently because he recognizes them to be authentic believers. And he does so. He points out because he says, I have heard of two things, your faith in Christ and your love for all the saints. And these are two indistinguishable, you cannot separate these characteristics of what it means to be a Christian is that you have this faith in Christ, not faith for faith's sake. It's not just faith in anything. It is faith in the sure rock that Ethan spoke of, of our salvation, the anchor that will not fail. It is faith in Christ, and it leads us to a love for not some of the saints, but a love for all the saints, right? And so he sees this, he hears this about them, and it leads him to say, but you're missing much more. And so, by God's grace, I want you to see it. So let's read our passage, and we'll dive in and walk through the text this morning. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, Remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him, who fills all in all. This morning, I'm praying that God would show us what's here. As I come to any passage, as any preacher or teacher will tell you, we come to any biblical passage and we have to leave out so much. The Word of God is just immense. It's just so thick and dense with truth that we need to pick up and we'll never be able to cover it in a 40-minute sermon. Okay, so I'm going to, I've lined this out in really four points today, and so we'll walk through this. And the first thing I want you to pay attention to is the spirit of wisdom and of revelation, verse 17. Paul there says, I'm praying, I don't cease to pray, I thank God for you, I don't cease to pray that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now notice what he doesn't say. He he does not pray for an extra filling of the Holy Spirit. He's not communicating here that, that, yeah, you're saved, but you don't necessarily have everything you are supposed to have yet. This This is not what I was referring to with cell phones, that you need to buy additional equipment. And he's not praying for this additional filling here of the Holy Spirit. And you'll get that one day, and this is what I'm praying for. This is not what he's saying at all. Nor is is he praying for another revelation. He's not praying that they would go off somewhere and, you know, sit cross-legged and hum to themselves and come to some other revelation, right? He's not 
praying for that at all. Instead, what he asked for is that God would give them the ability to recognize and discern the wisdom and revelation already given to them. And we know this because he says, I'm asking that you would come to this, that he would grant you the wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And this is how we know he's not talking about anything new or add-on. He's talking about Jesus here. That we would know him more. John 17, verses 25 through 26, said Jesus there, he's praying. This is the, the high priestly prayer. Jesus talking to his father before he's arrested and taken to the cross. And he, he says, O righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And Jesus is saying clearly here that he is the Son of God, he's from God, that he makes God known to us, and that he will continue to do so. In Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He, meaning Jesus, is the radiance of His glory. It's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. What, what we are hearing Paul pray for here is not some new revelation or some add-on to their faith, but instead that they would come to know what God has already revealed. That is being himself in the person of Jesus Christ. We don't need a, a mystical experience to hear a new word from our Lord. Nor do we need to, to punish ourselves or or to deny ourselves certain things. We don't need to pr practice asceticism where we go out and we just we whip ourselves or we deny ourselves certain things in order that we might hear a deeper word from God. No, instead we need to press into the truth that God has already given us. The, the truth is, everything that we need is already ours. We only need to realize it. In 2 Peter chapter 1, 3-4, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped through the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. See, the truth is, we don't need anything else. We need to realize what we have in Christ. Well, where do we go when we want to learn about Jesus? I mean, where do, we, where do we read of these very great promises that 2 Peter tells us about? Don't we go to the Scriptures? Don't we go to the Bible itself? I just want to point this out to you that as I told the membership class this morning, the one thing that, um, not, the, not the one thing, we're, we're brought together around the cross of Christ, but what provides the foundation and the ground for our understanding here is that God's Word is to be the authoritative final arbiter on all issues here. It is the common standard by which we measure everything. It's we come back to His Word. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be adequate, complete, equipped for every good work. 
So I want to ask you this morning, if, if Paul here is praying not that we would find some new revelation or some add-on to our faith, but instead that we would press in and that we would discern and realize and recognize what we already possess in Christ, and the Bible is where we go to learn of those promises, my question to you this morning is, what, what often distracts you or keeps you from pressing into the truth of God's Word? Spending time alone with God. I ask this uh, in a humorous way to my family the other night. We were, we'd gone out to, to dinner. We'd gone to, um, what's that place called? Panda, Panda Express. Uh, we'd gone over there. We'd eaten and we were in the car on the way back home. And I asked him this question, what, what's the biggest thing that distracts you and keeps you from from pursuing and pressing into God. And I may not have worded it exactly like that, but uh, that was kind of in my head what I said. you know. And so Micaiah spoke up first, and, uh, and his response was, women, hunger, and pain. <laughs> Spoken like a true 18-year-old male, right? And he, I mean, we can laugh at that, but he's right. Men, how many of you in the room know that There are times when those things keep you from the Word of God, keep you from pursuing the Lord. Women, hunger, and pain. I went around the car and asked Abby, and and Abby kind of thought about it for a while, and one thing she came back with was sleep. And I thought, you know, how true is that? How often sometimes our own um, desire for comfort or, or to stay in bed and not get up a little early and just spend the time alone with God. Sleep often gets in the way. She also pretty astutely said self. And this, is, this covers a myriad of things that just doing what we want to do instead of pressing into the Lord. Went around the car and I got to my wife and asked my wife, what is often your biggest distraction that keeps you from doing the things that you need to do? And my wife said, Nothing, because I'm so focused. <laughs> and I asked her if I could share that, and she said, yeah, that's fine, I guess, you know. But the, the reality is that we live in a day that is more distracted than ever. We've never lived in a time where we had more things that were vying for our attention, right? I mean, I mean you look around, and... and We have TV and Netflix and YouTube and Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat and Facebook and Pinterest. Or how do you say it? Is that right? Okay, Pinterest or Pinterest. There's a whole war going on over that, I think. You have blogs, you have books, you have sports, you have shopping. You know, it used to be that you had to get in a car and go somewhere to shop. You don't have to do it anymore. You pull up your phone or you pull up your computer or your tablet and you, know, you can go to Amazon and you can get anything you want delivered to your house the next day, right? I mean, there, there are all sorts of things. Food is a major distraction. I'm on social media and I'm trying to watch what I'm eating and I'm doing a pretty good job and I'm trying to take in a certain number of you know, grams of protein and carbs and fat and all this. And what do you people post? These videos from Tasty where they're drizzling caramel over top of something scrumptious mixed with popcorn and all this stuff. And people are the devil. Quit, you know. (laughs) I just want you to stop. I mean, it's a distraction. 
The App Store. You go to your phone and you can get all these apps on your phone. And the App Store for Apple products was opened in, on July 10th of 2008. When it opened, there were 500 apps available in 2008. Do you know how many there are as of a year ago in 2016? 2.2 million apps available. So when they originally came out and said, there's an app for that, they weren't kidding. There's an average of 2,000 apps added to the App Store every single day. That's just the Apple Store. That's not counting the other platforms, right? We've never lived in a more distracting time. When's the last time you simply sat in silence? And I don't mean silence with something on in the background. I mean, when's the last time you intentionally sat in silence? And so, Pastor, that'd be weird. Why would you want us to do that? It's a good exercise. Try it sometime. I think what you'll find is you can't do it very long. I think what you'll find is you just, it, it's eerie. It's, you got to be doing something. You got to be hearing something. You got to be seeing something. It was an exercise we had to do in seminary was to spend 30 minutes in solitude. It might have been an hour. I can't remember. It felt like about two days, right? Because I just wasn't used to it. And this was, this was back around 2001. I didn't have nearly the distraction. I didn't have a smartphone then. When's the last time you sat in silence? How many of you go to sleep at night and you have to have something on in the background or else you can't go to sleep? See, this is the reality for us. We are a distracted generation, a distracted people that has to have something going all the time. And what, what Paul is praying for here is that we would press into the Word of God so that we might gain a, a better understanding, a, a, a better knowledge of Christ. But see, it's not just the distractions that go on externally outside of us, but it's also the spiritual blindness within us. And this is also what Paul prays for here. He prays that they would have the eyes of their hearts enlightened or opened. How many of you knew that your, your heart had eyes? And I don't mean your, the, the muscle in your chest that pumps blood throughout your body. I'm talking about the, the heart the way the Bible speaks of your heart. This totality of all that you are. It's your, it's your physical, spiritual, emotional, it's your thought life. All of this. This is who you are. The Bible here says that your heart has eyes and that apart from the moving of the Holy Spirit, that your eyes are closed. If I were to tell you today to, um, to, to read Ephesians 1, but first close your eyes, you'd look at me and you'd say, well, I can't do that, Pastor. I can't read if my eyes are closed. You're going to have to give me one or the other, right? And the reality is our spiritual eyes, the eyes of our heart, apart from the moving of the Holy Spirit, are closed. And what Paul is praying for here is that, we, that God would open the eyes of our hearts that we might see more of Christ and who He is and what we are and what we have as we are in Him. This is what Jesus was pointing to when His disciples asked Him, why do you speak in parables? In Matthew 13, 13, Jesus said, This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, 
And hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. And what Jesus is pointing to there is the first seeing, seeing, and they do not see. The first seeing is seeing with their physical eyes. And this was the issue. The Pharisees were walking around, and they were looking at Jesus. They were scrutinizing him. They were, they were listening with their physical ears, and they were hearing everything he was saying. They were trying to catch him in every little thing, trying to, trying to, trying to snare him. And Jesus said, but seeing, they don't see. With the second pair of eyes, this, this seeing he's talking about on the second go-round were the eyes of their hearts. That their hearts were blind to the truth that he was giving. John Piper talked about this, what Paul's praying for here in Ephesians chapter 1. And he talked about this, that the difference between seeing with your, your physical eyes and seeing with the eyes of your heart is, is, like, is like recognizing honey. You say, well, do you know what honey is? And you go, well, yeah, of course I know what honey is. It says right here on the label, it's honey. It's honey, right? The difference there is you saw that with your, the eyes in your head, and you can read that. It's simple, it's plain, it's right there. The difference between that and seeing with the eyes of your heart is that you open that honey and you taste, and you say, yeah, that's honey. I know that, that's honey. And what Paul here is praying is that we might come to not just know Jesus because we know stuff about him. It says right here he's Jesus, Son of God. But instead what Paul's praying is that we would say, that's Jesus. Taste and see that the Lord is good, right? God's hopes, his riches, his power toward us are so great that we can't even begin to comprehend them unless He opens the eyes of our hearts. And that's what Paul is praying. And I would submit to you that this is reason for us to be praying for one another. That we would look across this room and we would see brothers and sisters and they would be on our mind and our heart and that we would spend time praying, Oh God, in, in that brother's life, would You open the eyes of his heart so that he might see You that he might know what is the hope that you've called him to. That he might know the glories, the riches of the glorious inheritance. That he might understand God on a, on a deeper level and walk in more the power that is toward him, that is immeasurable in you. I'm challenging us. I think we should be praying these types of things. Paul said in verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. A couple of things I just want to point out to you about that is <clears throat> Paul's writing this while he's in chains. He's in, he's in prison right now. And how is he whiling away his time while he's in prison? He is writing and he's praying. Now, now here's what I would say to you. How many excuses can we come up with for not praying? If you were in Paul's shoes, if you were in chains, even if you did pray, what would be the subject of your prayers? Wouldn't it be you? God, please get me out of here. God, you know that I'm only here because I did what you asked me to do, and Lord, I'm here. And Lord, have you forgotten about me? And many of us would turn inwardly and we would pray about us. And what Paul says is, 
oh, these chains? No, no, no. They will turn out for the furtherance of the gospel. While I'm here, I don't stop praying for you. Oh, I thank God because I've heard of your faith and the love you have for each other. And I'm praying that God would open the eyes of your heart. Second thing about this is Paul not only prays while he's in chains, but he prays for their spiritual needs. This type of prayer, I think, is missing in most churches. I mean, what do we pray for most often in our churches? Spiritual needs or physical needs? Physical needs, right? And this is, hey, this hurts me as much as it hurts you, but we get into a Sunday school class or, or a life group or in a small setting, and somebody says, anybody have any prayer requests? And the majority of them will be physical needs. And I'm not telling us that we should not pray for physical needs, but when we pray on a majority level for only physical needs, what does it say that we think is the most important need of humanity? Doesn't it say that we think the biggest problem that humanity has is their physical issues? I think we should pray for the physical needs of one another, but I got news for you. Our physical needs are temporary. Our physical needs will come and go. If we believe what this book teaches, there will come a day when we will, we will die and we will be raised from the dead one day and we will be given new resurrected bodies that will be fit for heaven and we will live in the new heaven and new earth with Jesus forever in those bodies, right? So physical needs, yes, while they are pressing and we can compassionately pray for one another in physical needs, how much more should we be praying for one another spiritually? Oh God, open the eyes of our hearts. Paul teaches us a great lesson here. Brian Chapel, in his commentary on this book, said, If our world is not to overwhelm us, we must know that what we see is not the full reality. So when cancer comes, when the child goes wayward, when you lose your job, when fill in the blank, we need to be praying for one another that we would realize that what we see and are experiencing in this life is not the, the end of the story. It is not the reality that God says will take place. The reality is He will come again. And we will be raised to live with Him forever. Amen? So we better know this. We must pray for one another. Now I want to just run through these, jog through these, walk through these, whatever. We must pray for one another the way Paul did. And the first thing he prayed for was the hope to which they were called. He said in verse 18, praying that you would have the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. I mean, how many people just eke out their existence with little or no hope? I mean, how many people do you know that are hurting on a regular basis where they see no light at the end of the tunnel? You know, sometimes, sometimes someone will go off on you. You know, some dude in traffic or somebody at the grocery store or something like that. Somebody's going to go off on you. And what we need to realize is there are people all around us that are living with little or no hope. 
We don't know what they're going through. We don't know what they are enduring in their life. But they don't have the hope that you and I have. They are living this life just eking it out with little or no hope. And for the Christian, this simply should not be. I would remind you that the world and the universe belongs to God. I want to give you just a word picture here. The residue from a single drop of dew left on the backside of an acorn on a solitary oak tree in the middle of a 20,000 acre forest is His. And so are you. You are His. Let that hope spring to life in you. That He has not forgotten you. That that you are not alone. That the, the universe is not random. You know, we, we hear news of all the hurricanes that have happened this, this year. And, and, uh, and, man, this tragedy in Las Vegas and all of the things that are going on around us. And we think, man, it seems like the universe is spinning out of control. Be reminded, Christian, that the universe is not random. That we will never be abandoned. That our God is just and gracious and sovereign and He saves God has called you, as 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, out of darkness and into His marvelous light. He didn't owe you that. He didn't, he didn't have to give you that. He called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Why would He abandon you now? He's not calling you out there just to leave you. He's going to stay with you. He, own, he, he owns you and He owns the universe and He does so from a position of love seeking your good and ultimately His glory. Let that hope spring forth in you. God doesn't treat His children the way that people treat other people. You know, just horrible things on the news every day. I hear about... You know, three-year-old being left outside being punished because they didn't drink their milk and then father coming back 15 minutes later and the three-year-old gone and missing about families that you know lose a child in the midst of a corn maze and don't realize it till the very next day yeah god doesn't treat his children the way we treat each each other He hasn't lost you. He hasn't forgotten you. He's not being cruel to you. Let the hope spring forth in you. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope, I've always taken great hope in that, that He's the God of hope. That no one has a greater claim on hope than He does. He owns hope. Every year, college football lets me down. Every year, I think, this is the year. And I find out the Tennessee Volunteers have no stake in hope, right? I had to throw that out there, South Carolina Gamecocks. Our God is the God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound or overflow in hope. That's what Paul's praying for. And Paul lets us know that unless the Spirit of God moves on us in such a way that He opens the eyes of our hearts, we'll never see that kind of hope. So we should be praying for one another. Oh God, open their eyes to that kind of hope. That You're the God of hope, even in the middle of the situation that they are in.
Secondly, he prays for, I think I just broke my microphone trying to, got a little excited there. We'll see if it stays in place. Second thing he prays for is that they would understand and know the riches of his inheritance and in, in, in his glorious inheritance in the saints. Verse 18. This could be understood as the inheritance that we will receive. And this is the, I talked to you about this last week. It's, it's kind of this, well, we're, we're heirs, and so we inherit this, and this could be the way some people would understand this. Let them know the, the, the riches of what they have, what, what's coming to them. Certainly, uh, verse 3 would support this, that where um, Paul said, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is ours in Christ. This, this would be certainly beneficial to us if, if this were the understanding, if this is what Paul means. This would certainly be beneficial to us when we're faced with various challenges in life to say, oh, but, but what's coming to me? But I don't think that's necessarily the way this should be understood. When Paul here prays that God would open the eyes of their heart to the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, I think instead this is better understood as the inheritance of God. What God possesses, what He has inherited in the saints. As hard as it is to understand, and, and, and I get it, this is hard to understand. God calls us Christians His treasured possession. Now, I got news for you. Most days I get up, I don't feel like anybody's treasured possession, right? There are days when I think, man, I mean, Nobody's picking me out of any junk pile, right? God says, treasured possession. I don't understand this, and this is not owing to, to any of us in any certain way. It's, remember, we've covered this thoroughly. It's not like he looked at us and said, oh, yeah, yeah, I see what you did there. Got to have you on my team. Treasured possession right there. I'm winning in the draft. That's what God's doing. It's not what he's doing. It's not owing to any of us, but instead, for whatever reason, in His own grace, freely, He says, you are my treasured possession. F.F. F. Bruce said that God should set such a high value on a community of sinners rescued from perdition and still bearing too many traces of their former state might, seem well, might well seem incredible were it not made clear that He sees them in Christ. As from the beginning, He chose them in Christ. Paul prays here that his readers may appreciate the value which God places on them, his plan to accomplish his eternal purpose through them as the first fruits of the reconciled universe of the future, in order that their lives may be in keeping with this high calling that they may accept in grateful humility the grace and glory thus lavished on them. Too many Christians live meh lives. Right? Too many Christians settle for insecurity. Too many Christians fall prey to the schemes of the devil. And 1 Peter 2.9 tells us, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, His inheritance that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Oh, that we would see what God says that we are. 
And again, I don't say any of that to point to you and say, you are the point of it all. Because I would remind all of us, He is the point. We are not. But yet He calls us His inheritance, His treasured possession. The third thing Paul prays for is Paul prays that God might open the eyes of their heart to the immeasurable greatness of His power. These Ephesian believers were constantly observing a world around them that was filled with pagan notions of cultic, uh, cultic and magical powers. I mean, the, the, the world of the occult and demonic spiritual activity was rampant in the lives and, and, and the society that these believers were living in. Spiritual powers were at odds with Christ, and they were very aware of this. The, the people around them, their neighbors, would, would all the time be pushing this in their face. They would even look around at times and see a natural world that was broken by sin and seemed at times to be out of control and to be working against them. And in such a situation, in such a surrounding, they would need to know, they would need to be aware, be made aware of the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward them. Paul leaves us little room to, to misunderstand this because he, he helps us with great detail to, to just kind of wade into the greatness of God's power. In verse 19, he, he tells us that it's immeasurable. You know, there's lots of powerful things that happen around us that are measurable. Hurricanes are measurable, right? Earthquakes are measurable. It was a so-and-so on the Richter scale. Or it was a category so-and-so. What Paul's saying here is God's power towards you is immeasurable. Let that sink in. He says also in verse 19 that it's toward us who believe. That that, that this, what this means is that it's not toward everybody. That not everyone has His protection or His blessing or His saving. That there are some, in fact, that will feel the immeasurable greatness of His power not toward them, but against them in judgment. Namely, those that do not believe. Number three, Paul tells us the immeasurable Greatness of His power toward us who believe. Number three, it accords with the power that He worked in Christ. Meaning it's, it's like, it's according to, it's, it's like what He did in Christ when He raised Jesus from the dead, verse 20 says. Romans 8.11 tells us that if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. What this means for us is that when Paul here says, I'm praying, God, would you open the eyes of their heart to the immeasurable greatness of your power toward them who believe that accords with the power that you worked in Christ when you raised Him from the dead, what Paul is saying there is that when Jesus died and was raised from the dead, that for every single one of us who believe, death has already died. That we fear no death. That death for the believer is this doorway into the presence of God. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead also seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. 
And the, the right-hand seat was the position of honor and authority. Jesus was exalted to the right hand of the Father to rule and to reign. And this is important because in verses 21 and 22, this is what he's saying. He says, He was exalted to the right hand of the Father far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet. What this means is that there is no power that can overcome Him. There is no spiritual power No political power. No power otherwise that can overcome our God. Isaiah 54, 17, No weapon formed against you shall prosper. He alone is God and there is none like Him. This also means, Paul points out here, that there's not a name today. There's not a name tomorrow. There's not ever been a name that will be greater than Him. It means that no one ever, no power ever, will thwart His power. And the Bible here, don't miss when the Bible here says that God has placed all things under His feet. You know what all things means? All things. The fourth thing that Paul tells us about this power, not only is it immeasurable, not only is it toward us who believe, not only is it according to the power He worked in Christ, but it's also specifically toward the church for the mission of the church. And this is verse 23 when he says, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. And the way I think that we should understand this, it's a difficult phrase to understand, but I think what Paul is saying here is that one day, God will usher in the new heaven and the new earth. And in that time, it will be a time where no threat comes against Him and all are in glad submission to His rule. This will be a wonderful day. And we sing about this day and we long for this day. And that day, one day is coming. But until then, the church is to be a little bit of heaven on earth. And that doesn't necessarily mean that when we come together that this should just be a heavenly gathering. And we should all just smile and go about our business. But instead, that, that churches everywhere, and I talked to a Sunday school teacher before he taught this morning, that as the days grow more and more wicked and evil and, and the culture gets further and further away from biblical principles, true churches will become all the more valuable because they will become outposts. They will become lighthouses They will become so important in our culture. And this, I think, is at the heart of what Paul is praying here, that we would realize that that God is so powerful toward us that He fills us for the purpose of accomplishing His work of redemption through us until the day when it is finally accomplished and He brings new heaven and new earth to be. That in the, in the meantime, you and I are His body, the fullness of Him, and God will accomplish His work of redemption through us. Oh, that we might know this power. Oh, that we might realize this and walk in this and be willing to dare to go to dangerous places and, and really kind of put all of what we are on the line for the sake of His glory. I'm thankful for people that have gone out from this congregation that are now living and serving in dangerous, faraway places 
I'm praying for more of them. I'm praying that more would leave from us in order to go to the nations because of verses like this. That building a big church is not the point. It's not the goal. Having notoriety or fame here is not the goal because these are temporal desires that will come, to pack, will come and go. But the one thing that will last is His glory where we are gathered around His throne. So the application from this passage this morning is really pretty simple. And I'm just going to put this out there to you is that we would pray for one another. That we would pray prayers like Paul is praying here for the Ephesian believers. That we would pray that God would open the eyes of our hearts so that we might know Him more. That He would open the eyes of our heart that we might recognize and discern what is true because we are in Christ. That we would, as a result, walk in faith with the Lord Jesus Christ and we would exhibit love for all the saints. And so the, the application, the challenge this morning is that we would pray these types of prayers for one another. In your bulletin, every single week, there is a, a rotation of uh, members of this church and ministries that are affiliated with this church that come up on a daily basis that we just put this out to you. It's in your bulletin every week, and it's just, it's just a, hey, here, pray for this person today. Pray for this ministry today. Um, I'm going to challenge you that maybe you might take that and begin to make that part of your daily walk with the Lord. And that you might pray for that individual that day that God would open the eyes of their hearts to what is true of them because they are in Christ. And that we might walk in faith and love toward another. I, that's the challenge. I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to do that, okay? the other part of this challenge is that in just a minute when we ask you to respond, I'm just going to ask you right where you are to look across the room and to choose a face in the crowd, choose someone that you know or even that you don't know, and just begin to pray this type of prayer for them today. If in the middle of this God's already spoken to you and, and He's leading you to a specific um, application step, then please do that. But if not, let's use this time as, as Ethan comes and plays that we might pray for one another. I'll be here at the front. I'd love for, for you to come and speak with me and if I can help you through anything, I'd love for, for, to, to have that opportunity. But let's heed the warning and heed the, um, the advice here of the Scriptures and let's pray for one another. Let me pray and we'll respond in faith. Lord Jesus, we love you. And God, I'm so thankful, Lord, that you love us. God, I, I, I'm fearful, Lord, that in my own life, Lord, that, uh, that I'm aware of such a small amount of what is true of you. Um, God, I pray, Lord, that, 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 that you would just help, Lord, all of us, Lord, to grow in the knowledge of you. Lord, I'm thankful this morning for the church. Lord, I'm thankful not only to be the pastor of this church, Lord, I'm thankful to be a part of this church. I'm thankful that I'm a brother to brothers and sisters that make up the faith family here. Lord, would you lead us to pray for one another? God, we want to know you. Lord, we are not seeking some added blessing of the Spirit or some 
mystical revelation from you. Lord, we do, though, want to press into you and know you. So God, would you do that as we pray? Lord, would you do that as we leave this place and we go in our daily walks with you? Lord, would you just cause us to to know you more? Help us, Lord, to, to press into your word that we might learn things that are true of you and, God, that they would move from our heads into our hearts. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts. Help us to see, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond in faith as God leads. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.